This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. I remember how it tasted. It was pasta that reminded me of past lives, where I wore a different face, slipped into another skin. It was the taste of white wine and garlic, the slight hint of salt coming off the Aegean. It's the sea itself, how blue it is. Then again, wasn't it Proust who said that taste and smell are directly connected to memory? He ate a cookie once that he hadn't had since his childhood, the story goes, and memories of being a little boy came flooding back. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Jessica Stickler about her newest novel, The Weary God of Ancient Travelers. In this moving story, a young woman has experienced a severe trauma that has left her with memory loss diagnosed as selective amnesia. She knows that her name is Lydia, but she has no idea why she's living in a beautiful house on the Greek island of Santorini, or why a man she calls David Copperfield is taking care of her. She'd like to know where she's from, what she did before coming to the island, and if she has any family. All she has to do is remember what happened that night. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gilly. Thanks so much for having me. So how did you come to write this beautiful novel? Um, You know, the book just fell into my head. I think that there's this sense when, when you write a book that you either plan it or it like you intuit it. And I've had novels that I've planned. And when I write my young adult fantasy fiction, I, I do a lot of planning for that. But when it came to this book, I, one day I was literally eating, um, garlic and and white wine pasta. Um, And I thought about Greece and I could just hear this girl's voice in my head. And and that's sort of what started it. Um, I had been to Greece recently and it was in my head and I had learned a lot about Santorini and and the story of the lost city of Atlantis, but it it really just came to me. It was one of those. Mm. We learn early on that your protagonist, Lydia, suffers from some kind of short-term memory loss or selective amnesia. Can you talk about how, how you decided to do that? How, how do we know people in that state 
struggle to figure out who they are, that sort of thing. So as far as the like nuts and bolts of selective am- amnesia disorder, I did a lot of research. I have um, some people I know who, who work at Northwestern, and I spoke to some doctors there. And in addition to that, I, I just did a lot of research on selective amnesia disorder. Um, I also wanted to think about memory sort of more holistically. So the idea of the layers of memory that Lydia has, that this is a woman who has gone through a trauma and lost her memory, and the idea of collective memory, which we we sort of get a sense of when we have the past life story that that goes into various different historical directions, um, and sort of our historical memory with the character Claude, um, where he's a product of history and, and a victim and perpetrator of history as well. And the idea that, you know, history has these connections and these reverberations that, that sort of move throughout, you know, people's lives and, and the lives of generations. I, I wanted those things to come together more clearly, which was why, um, why the memory idea and, and the, the past life idea came into play. And then the notion of the lost city of Atlantis and, well, what if this place was real? And, you know, there there is a sort of speculative element that dips its toe into the story, but doesn't necessarily dive in. Um, but we get a sense that memory is really important. Mm-hmm. Much of Lydia's recovery and much of the book's action takes place, as you said, on Santorini. Can we talk some more about the sun and the Aegean Sea and what you loved about it? When I thought about a, just a place that just resonates beauty, but also resonates a damaged history, I thought about Santorini. Um, so as much as part of it was that I really liked keeping my brain in Santorini for a while, the other part that I thought about was this idea of the history of the island of Santorini um, that was this large Minoan civilization that had amazing art and amazing buildings, and they're still finding artifacts in Akwatiri um, and, and these places that where the Minoans were. And there's a lot of you know digs going on in Santorini. And so it has this great history, but it also has this violent history. There's this volcano that erupted and created, you know, there's this circular island becomes this tiny moon sliver. Um, and there's all this volcanic ash and volcanic rock still all around the island. And some of it's red and some of it's black. And it's really beautiful. And, and we have this beautiful sun and the Aegean Sea is lovely and and, you know, Greek islands and, and tight cities and all these things are wonderful. But there's also this history of this island, which is very violent and speaks to the kind of damage that our, our main character has suffered as well. Mm. Lydia knows that the year is 2000 and she knows that she's leery of men, except for the man she calls David Copperfield. And she knows that it's not his real name. Why is she so comfortable with him? She has this innate feeling that she knows him. And part of it is that he is so very kind to her, that there's this sense of goodness that, that comes from him, that she feels safe. And deep down, she's someone who never feels safe. So the, so the fact that she feels safe with him definitely means something to her. Um, so as we move through the story and we move through their relationship, um, and she discovers bits and pieces about him and it really is bits and pieces for a very long time 
he still remains David Copperfield because um, he is this sort of almost idealized man. When I was creating the character David Copperfield, I actually modeled him after the character Hector from the Iliad. And Hector from the Iliad is is widely considered, and, and he's my personal favorite man, um, but he's widely considered the epitome of, of goodness and honor and nobility. And he's the crown prince of Troy who sacrifices himself for his country and he loves his family and he loves his wife. And he is literally the only man in any piece of Greek literature I've ever read that is like has a conversation with his wife about something, um, anything at all. Um, so I really liked seeing their dynamic and, and how David Copperfield was good like that. And so his goodness sort of rubs off on her. What about the Dickens character? How is he connected? So there is this sense that David Copperfield is the character, um, the Dickens character, who tells his whole life story and lays it out. And David Copperfield does not, I'll just say. Um, and, And that's sort of the kind of irony is that he's this guy who, she doesn't know his name. We don't learn his name till very late. I didn't want to tell the reader the name until much later, um, but I, I was told I, I should probably name him a little earlier. But definitely she she learns very little about his life. She learns a little bit about how she knows him as we go through the story. She knows who he is because she sees who he is. She sees his personality. She sees his goodness. But as far as any story connected to him, there is no story really, truly connected to him for a very long time. And so he's sort of the opposite of the David Copperfield that we know mm. from Dickens. Mm-hmm. She She's kind of obsessed with the, the memory of, as you mentioned, the white wine and garlic, the yep. pasta. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you go into that a bit more about how smells and memory are connected in the, the story? And this is something that's true in the story. And there's been studies and apparently smell and the smell receptors in our brain are wired to the memory receptors in our brain. And so that's why when you taste something from your childhood, it will bring you right back. Uh, I remember the first time this happened, I was, I was like five years old and I had this like body spray that I had gotten for Christmas in like my stocking. And it was like a year later and I smelled the body spray. It must have been like in the bathroom and I smelled it. And I just remembered that Christmas so clearly. And that and that memory is still so important to me because it was the first time I remember feeling nostalgia and having a memory and, and, and missing my past. And so smell and, and memory are so connected. And uh, the book sort of mentions early on the, the, the Proust and the cookie. And so um, in remembrance of, things past as well. Um, Marcel Proust talks about this also. So it's not the first time that smell and memory have been discussed in literature also. No, no, and it shouldn't be the last. Another thing Lydia thinks a lot about is past lives. She believes she might have been in the publishing world in the 1960s, which is well before she was born, and um, that she had a younger sister in Poland in 1930s. Can you address her memories in in the light of this woman that she meets who does past life regression therapy. And there are a lot of connections between Lydia and her past life ideas and and, and theories and her real life and also the people around her. And so I I don't want to give too much away, but there is this sense that 
there is it it could go either way there could be this speculative element and lydia is remembering a past life where she is this woman named olivia who worked in publishing lived in new york in the 1960s had a friend named conrad but there's also this sense that there's something real going on and the the story sort of gives us these hints um Hints very early, but then, you know, they, they sort of trickle off for a while. But there is a sense that there's more than this, just this girl has a wild imagination or this girl is psychic. Um, there might be something real happening with these past life memories. And then her memory is triggered again by a lamp she finds in an antique store and she becomes friendly with the owner. Can you say more about that? So the owner, Claude, was an interesting character to write and... I had a lot of fun with him and Claude was actually the reason that I decided that the story should take place in the year 2000. I realized it kept taking place in the present moment in the present day. And I think I probably started this book in like 2015. And, and then as, as, it, it got, you know, I did drafts and drafts of it. And as it was getting published, I realized this guy is like 95, 96, 98 years old. How, how is he? So then I, I moved the story back to the year 2000. Um, but I, I wanted to have his character there because he's a, a remnant of history as well. He's a, an old man in his 80s. He is working as an antique dealer. This idea of selling remnants of the past, connecting people to their past. Um, he definitely works within the theme. And he plays a, a significant role in, in Lydia's life. Um, and he really does start to become her guide in a way to finding out who she is. Uh-huh. And then... Um... An agent from the UN contacts Lydia and throws some of what she thinks she knows into question. In light of the Spanish Spanish philosopher George Santayana, who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, I thought it was fascinating how you wove that story in. Yeah, it, it turns out that Claude has more of a past than than we, we sort of initially assume. We know he's, he's yeah. had a life and a very interesting life, but it's not until we meet the agent from the UN and the agent from the UN tells, tells Lydia that he is, you know, connected to some parts of history that um, are still being investigated. And, you know, he's not really French. So what is he? And he's not his name's not really Claude and who is he? And it, it turns out that there's a lot going on with, with Claude and, and his, his own past life that is still catching up with him. And there's moments when we, we think we can, we can sort of understand him and Lydia definitely tries to understand him, but there is a sense that he has a very shady past. Mm. Why does Lydia return again and again to the idea that one day she will be a rhino? That was totally a motif, I've, and it was something really fun that I remember when I did a past life um, animal analysis. I was probably in high school at the time, um, and it probably was a silly magazine little thing, but I remembered that rhino, and I, I thought it was just a cool thing to sort of play with and put in there that, you know, in the future, I'm going to be a rhino, because um, she decides that, you know, in, in her next life, she'll reincarnate as as an animal, and it will be a rhino, and um so I just wanted something as sort of concrete to come back to, to remind us of the future, um, to, to sort of startle us back into the moment. 
this idea, I'm going to be a rhino, it sort of startles us, us back from wherever we've been. Her thoughts have a tendency to wander. And so it's, it's nice to just get back somewhere. And so that's usually when I, I put it in, when she's been meandering for a while or worrying about something for a while. And then we, we need to sort of refocus. I thought it gave her comfort. Definitely. Hmm. Can you address Lydia's relationship with her mother? So Lydia definitely has a complicated relationship with her mother. Uh, a lot of her own past as it becomes revealed. There, There is a reason this woman lost her memory. And there, there's trauma built on trauma built on trauma. And, and so one of the things that I was exploring is the nature of trauma and how, you know, when we have one trauma and it's not really ever dealt with enough, that it, it begets more trauma and, and more issues. So that was something that I, I really wanted to explore. And so Lydia has these moments um, in her, you know, late childhood that really sort of traumatized her and shaped her. And we learn about that um you know, throughout the narration of the book. And then we we also learn as as we get a sense of who the women in her life were, that she has this mother, but for the longest time she can't remember her. And when we we get the memories of her, they're not good. And, you know, her mother doesn't believe a lot of the things that happened to Lydia. Her mother doesn't really protect Lydia. Her mother has a tendency to throw her daughter under the bus. Um, we learned that, you know, Lydia, you know, had a, connections to people who she that she severed that Lydia would have liked to have known. There's a lot of things that we learn about the mother and we learn about them late um, in the book that sort of open up who Lydia is and, and sort of add to our sense of her trauma. Mm -hmm. Which is we're not going to give anything away here. Okay. Um, at some point you write that Lydia finally had a really good psychologist, which implies that as she's suffering, that she didn't have great therapists. Yeah, that's something that I, I wanted to explore. And it's, it's not, it's not something that's, that's heavily discussed because it's not something that I, I, I really went into a lot or studied a lot. So I, I, but I did want to make it clear that therapy and, and moving on with your past is something that can happen, that Lydia didn't necessarily have to suffer as much as she did. And if someone had helped her more, if, if there had been, you know, if her mother had helped her more when she was younger, if a mental health professional had been more helpful to, helpful to her when she was younger and then as she continued to grow up, that things might have been different. And Part of that was I, I really wanted to say that this is not like these things happen and they're not necessarily your life is over. There is a way to move on from them. She didn't get that help when she maybe needed it most, uh, but she did start to get it. And when that happens, her, her life opens up. And I, But I did want to make it clear by that statement that it is possible to move beyond this. It does take work. I agree. Can you talk about how you came to understand how a huge trauma can mangle the very essence of a personality. Well, I did a lot of research on, on the nature of trauma and I, I saw a lot of it when I was, you know, working with kids and, and also just understanding our own past and what have gone on what has gone on in our past. We, we start to see sort of the ways in which um, people who have suffered 
um, it takes a lot to move beyond it. And it's not as if everyone who has suffered or suffered the way that Lydia suffered are, are going to lose their memory or wander around a, a Greek island or do the myriad of things that, that Lydia ends up doing. But I did want to explore this idea that our past does affect who we are. Um, and it, it sort of intrinsically affects who we are in our future. And it's sort of, um, it is something that we can move beyond and it is something that we can overcome and understand, but it's definitely also something that um, is intrinsic to who we are. Um, and, and you can see it when, when you look at, you know, kids who have, have gone through trauma and versus kids who have not. Um, and it's, it's not to say that everyone's perfect or everyone's imperfect. Um, but I did want to explore that. Mm. It becomes clear that David Copperfield truly loves Lydia. His full-time job seems to be taking care of her. And she starts to love him in her own way, in her limited way. Can someone without a memory of who they are fall in love? Well, it's interesting because David Copperfield doesn't seem to think that she can. And he keeps saying, we can't be together. I can't for the longest time, he's like, I can't be with you. This can't happen. That would be taking advantage of you. Don't, don't you understand? You don't know who you are. How can this happen? And she, it takes her a while. And she's like, I know who I am. I'm this person here. And so there is this question of, is she the woman that she was before she lost her memory? Or is she the woman that she's become now in this moment? And are we the person we are in this moment? Or are we a manifestation of our past? And that question comes up a lot, especially with their relationship, because she is really in love with him. And he keeps saying, well, how do you know? You don't know. Um, and and so that relationship really starts to become sort of symbolic of, of that question. Mm. I just want to say it's a, it was a beautiful novel. And the reason we sound so elusive is because I for sure didn't want to give away anything. I love how it unfolded. And um, the writing is beautiful. The story is gripping. You really, you really knocked it out of the ballpark. So my question is, what are you working on next? Oh, thank you. I am working on a book that actually also deals with memory. And it's called Between Before and After. It's, it takes place in, in Paris in the 1990s and the present moment. And it's about a male protagonist named Sebastian who is trying to come to terms with, with his past by his mother is a writer and he's a filmmaker. He's like an indie filmmaker. Um, I was kind of picturing like a Noah Baumbach sort of, he's has a career, but he's not exactly famous or, or huge, but, but he definitely has a, a career, which is saying something. And he um, goes to, to Paris to make a film version of one of his mother's novels, which is really just a sort of fictionalized version of something that happened to them in their life. And so it's like, it's again, looking at creating the past and understanding the past um, from sort of the, the angle of how we make art through the past. Mm, it sounds really interesting. I look forward to reading it when it comes out. And thank, thank you, you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Souped Mystery series and host for New Books and Literature, the podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with Jessica Stickler about her novel, The Weary God of Ancient Travelers. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too.
Happy reading.